This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. The pursuit for food has taken us into the wilderness, across rivers, and atop mountains. These journeys have connected us to the wild. It is this connection that allows us to experience the wild places this world has to offer in search for both wild game and adventure. This is my adventure for food. My name's Tyler France, and I come from a long bloodline of Pennsylvania big woods bear hunters. We've done our fair share of damage on the bears over the past several decades as my grandfather, Lemoyne, killed our hunting camp's first bear in 1957. My father, Steve, has taken an astounding eight bears over his lifetime, all of which while stand hunting. My older brother, Travis, has four bears to his name, and I've taken three myself. But the one who has the claim to fame with the largest bear of the entire Franz family is myself, with the second bear that I took in the 2009 season. This is the story of that bear. When we woke up on the second day of the 2009 bear season, it was one of those days where the rain was coming down in buckets. You just knew you felt like you could crawl in a little cocoon of a sleeping bag and stay in bed, but nevertheless, at 3.30 in the morning, I dragged my butt out of the bunk and uh, moseyed on downstairs in the cabin to get breakfast started. The rain was pounding on the old tin roof. We were looking at each other thinking, oh man, it's gonna be one of those days. What are we gonna do? Where are we gonna hunt? We hadn't had any luck on the season opener and uh, the crew that was with us decided to hash out our plan over breakfast. So we were sitting there talking about our options. The way that we hunt, we don't typically drive. We just spread out. We take a good group of guys, maybe six to eight in a group, and spread out across the mountain, covering all the high traffic trails, 
the benches, the ridges, any crossings on draws, mostly in proximity to thick cover. We weren't sure how long we were going to stick it out because it was supposed to pour all day, but we ultimately decided to spread out in one area that was pretty easy access and meet back at the logging road at noon to figure out a plan for the rest of the day. We ultimately decided that myself and a friend of mine, Brad, would head east and cut down over a, a big chop and spread out. I would watch a little draw that comes in from a, a band of thick hemlocks and some laurel, and he would stay up on top in the chop. My dad, another friend of ours, Jody, and another friend, Bobby, would head to the west of the logging road and spread out and, you know, take their chances there. Well, I headed down over the side with Brad well before daylight, and I got to my predetermined spot. It was a place that my dad had run into bears in the past. Uh, we've had some success with camp members killing bears there before, but not recently. Nevertheless, we got there, and I let, you know, drop Brad off, continued out on my way, down over a ridge, just that I could kind of see a band of laurels to my left, a little opening of cover down below me, a little trickle creek heading down through a, a draw, and then there was thick hemlocks on the opposing hillside. Again, the chop was behind me. I sat there all morning, thankful, praying, thanking God that I had a tree umbrella to put above my head and try to keep most of the, the damp and cold off of me. But it was one of those days you just, you just kind of hunkered down and prayed for quitting time. But it got to be around, you know, 1030, 1045. And I got on the radio and I said to Brad, I said, hey, man, you seeing anything? He said, I haven't even seen a squirrel. And we, we talked about it, and I said, I, I think I'm going to pack up soon, and I'm going to zigzag the top of this recent chop here, see if I can kick something out to you. And I'll, that'll take me maybe an hour, and then we'll head back to the truck for noon to meet the rest of the guys. So I, I took my time. I got off the, the radio with him, and I was sitting there, took, the, took out my sandwich, ate my sandwich, drank a little bit of the water that I had in my pack, capped it. And of course, you know, as I was ready to leave, nature calls. So <laughs> I stood up, uh, prepared to take a leak. I took my tree umbrella down, shook the water off of it, put it in my pack, propped my gun against my pack, stood up and start taking a whiz. As I'm gazing down the mountainside in all my manhood, exposed to the wilderness, I look down and I see what I thought was this little bird flittering off of, you know, a tree limb. There was a little hemlock branch moved. I thought, you know, just a songbird, whatever. But I caught that little glimpse and it, it made me look a little closer. I'm still there continuing my business and I see it move again. And it was, it was kind of a branch that was obscured by a large oak tree that was right in between the two of us, you know, myself and that branch down in the distance at the bottom of the draw. And as I continued to look, 
it just seemed out of place in the, in the gray stillness of the morning. Everything was, you know, dreary and, and gray, and it was actually a sign of life. And all of a sudden, that sign of life really came to fruition because I saw a little sliver of black on the left side of that mature oak tree. I was like, no way. <laughs> I, I cut it off real quick at that point, right then and there. And I saw black on the other side of the tree. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I think this is a bear coming right at me. And it truly was. It was, it was a bear walking straight up the hillside directly behind that tree. And eventually it crossed out to the right side of the tree and I knew it was a bear. And not just a bear, but a good bear. So I, I quickly knelt down to the ground, dropped into like ninja mode immediately, grabbed the gun, pulled up my 308 and looked through the scope. As I looked through the scope, it was just rain. <laughs> I saw I had, I had rain and moisture all in my scope. So I'm frantic now. The bear's still walking straight towards me up the hill. I'm trying to clear my scope with, you know, a shirt tail that's hanging out the bottom of my coat. I finally get it cleared enough that I can see through my crosshairs and, and get dialed in on this bear. And at this point, it's about 70, 75 yards away. I settled the crosshairs just below its neck, the top of its chest area, kind of for a, a quartering two shot, thinking I could just, you know, try to slip one right in the boiler room there as it's walking towards me. I took a deep breath and I squeezed off the shot. At that moment, the bear threw both front legs up in the air, tumbled backwards, I saw blood fly out of its jugular area. It rolled and it left out the death moan. Now, if you've never heard a death moan from a bear before, uh, it, it's, a, it's a sound you'll never forget. It's kind of like a roar that echoes like a foghorn through the entire valley. I swear it, it shook the water and the raindrops off the tree limbs. But at that moment, the silence finally came. The bear was down. I was totally <laughs> thrilled, elated, astonished. Couldn't believe my luck. Got on the radio. I called Brad and said, bear down, bear down for Mill Run Camp. And he said, great job, buddy. I'm going to get to an area that I can try to reach the other guys, and then I'll be right down. So I agreed, you know, I would meet him here, go down and check out my bear, put my tag on it. And uh, I stood up, I started walking down over the hillside, and man, I, I just had the shakes come over me. Now, this was my second bear. I had already done this before. But there's something about the thrill of the hunt that just overcame me. I had to, I had to honestly sit down. <laughs> I got halfway down the mountain towards this bear. I had to sit down, collect myself, try not to throw up from the excitement and the adrenaline pumping through my body. And uh, I finally got my crap together, and I walked down to this bear, and I realized, man, this is this is a, a pretty nice bear. At that point, I was thinking, you know, it's definitely over 250 pounds. I didn't know how much bigger it was beyond that. But I filled out my harvest tag, got it in its ear, and by this point, I could see Brad up on the hillside making his way down to me. He came down and, you know, we were celebrating, hugging, cheering, you know, high-fiving, just pumped up that 
we were fortunate enough to take a bear for the camp. And at that moment, he said, well, let's, let's flip it over and, and get some pictures. When the two of us tried to grab this bear and move it into position for a photo, and it, it barely budged, we realized we had a pretty exceptional bear on the ground here. Um, in that time, we managed to get it propped up a little bit. We got some photos, and I decided that I would take my, pack my gun, my pack, and all my gear down to the truck and kind of shed some layers because I knew the work was just going to get started. So Brad sat there with my bear at that moment, hiked down to the truck, got a big hay rope that we keep, big burly thick cord rope that uh, we you know, had used several times in the past for getting bears out. And I hauled that back in with me. The plan was to try to take it out live, you know, full size, drag it out. Uh, we obviously were going to need some help. But I, I got back to the bear. I field dressed it. Took a good 45 minutes. It was a huge bear. My, you know, 5'5 five, five frame was swallowed up. Somebody took a picture of me field dressing this bear, and I'm like dwarfed next to the size of it. Uh, but finally got it field dressed. The other guys made their way to him. So at this point, we have my father in his late 50s at that time, our friend Jody, who's also in his 50s, and then myself, Brad, and Bobby, all of which were at th that time in our mid-20s. So the plan was that Jody would go ahead and uh, carry some guns, carry packs, clear you know, branches for us, and uh, Brad, Bobby, my dad, and myself tied basically a tag into the rope to, to the two hind legs, and we decided we're going to take it backwards down the creek bed. We affixed four handles on the rope, and let me tell you, if if one person didn't pull, that bear didn't move. We had to all kind of go a count of one, two, three, haul, and then we'd make a good 20, 30-yard run at it, and then we'd have to catch our breath, take a break, and then go again. And, you know, being a young guy with a, an older dad at the time, you know, he's still pretty young considering and in good shape at the time, but I didn't want to push him. Um, so I had, I actually said, Dad, you know, are you okay? Do we need to go get help? And he actually got ticked at me. He grabbed a hold of my coat and he said, you know what, we're getting this bear out right now. We don't need help. We got this. So, uh, you know, he was fired up and I was I was happy that, you know, he was willing to dig his, dig his toes down. I know this wasn't his first rodeo. So convinced that we had what we needed we all kind of dug in and we were in knee-deep water and in late november it was cold we hauled that thing uh 600 yards approximately down this draw to the truck and uh it took a group effort to get it up on the tailgate and in the back of the truck we took it down to the check station uh, in jersey shore uh, i had taken the bear in, in clinton county and we got down to Jersey Shore exit, and we went to the fire hall there for the check station. And when we pulled in and people uh, started gathering around the tailgate, uh, we pulled the bear out, and there was kind of like a murmur in the crowd, like, oh, this is, this is a good bear. Uh, they got it on the scale, and they hoisted it up. And when they yelled out the measurement, they give the, the dressed weight and the estimated live weight turned out that my estimated live weight was 431 pounds 
and eventually, when I got the, the skull scored, uh, it made Pennsylvania record books. It was an exceptional bear, a big male boar, uh, and when they pulled the tooth, they aged it, and it turned out that it was a, a nine-year-old, eight-month-old uh, bear. So that's a bear that made it through many, many different seasons, escaped countless hunters, had a couple snafus with a, a BB gun toting bird seed watcher uh, based on when we skinned it out back home and uh, took, took the hide off and started butchering. We were shaving away the layers of fat on its back and right in its hind quarter, I found two BBs <laughs> that somebody actually shot it in the, in the rear end with a, a BB gun or a pellet gun. But we ended up breaking down that bear uh, we deboned it, we froze it, and we ended up doing what we always do when we shoot a bear for the camp. Uh, we slow braise them in red wine and garlic, and we serve it to upwards of 300 people at our annual bear and deer roast. It's kind of like a, a celebration of the camp that we have every year where we you know, bring the harvest together. Every guy in camp donates one of his deer hindquarters. And if we're fortunate to get a bear that year, we all share it with our friends and families at the annual roast. So I was proud to, to be the only person that actually killed a bear that year for our camp. And fortunately, it was a really big one, and it held out to feed that many people. Everybody at least got a taste of it. And uh, in reflection, I'm just super thankful that I've grown up in a family that embraces the outdoors the way they do. Uh, I have a hunting camp that's in bear country that, that we've had a lot of success in the past and I'm hopeful that we can continue to have successes well into the future because at the end of the day, uh, tasting that bear, sitting there at the bear roast, taking a bite of it, it's a little taste of Pennsylvania Big Woods victory and that's my adventure for food. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. A life that has the stories to back it. A life to be proud of. It's a Winchester life. Yeah, baby. 6-8 Western. Oh, I'll be over there, baby. Right there. Tune in every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV.